If you'd like to give us any feedback, please send your emails to anopenletter2u at gmail.com. But you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you hoped you'd never hear again. And I am Dave. Thanks for listening. This is an open letter. Hopefully that's what you're looking for when you uh, started to download this and listen to it. Appreciate you listening today. I am really excited about today's podcast. I have a good friend of mine here with us in the studios. Uh, We'd like to welcome Paul Wiersma. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm doing just fine on this very strange, snowy April Saturday afternoon. How are you? Well, it is exactly that. I am very well. Quite a uh, adventure getting here, but yeah. Um, so you got texted here nonetheless. Me. Yes, you did, and I'm glad you did because I think it's going to be a really. I love your story. I've known you for a while, and we're going to get into that. But in a minute, as I always do, I want to introduce the rest of the team. We have <clears throat> on the keys our good friend, the Cashmeister. That would be me, Chad Cashman. Producer extraordinaire. That and so much more. And to my right, the lovely, the talented, Carol Wilson. Hello, everyone. And, of course, there's me. I'm Dave. I'm the host of An Open Letter. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email us at anopenletter to you. That is the number two, the letter U, anopenletter to you at gmail.com. But probably even a better way to contact us is the Facebook page. Please like our page, comment on it, send us messages if you have feedback. We really enjoy hearing that because we want to continue to get better at what we do. So, Chad, you know how we always start our podcasts? Do you know how we start them? We start at playing that game. Up, <laughs> up, up. Up, up, up. That is actually the new name of the game, Up, Up, Up. Yes. My Nailed creativity it. takes the cake. It's actually called off, off the cuff. Off the cuff. That would be the correct way to say it. We're gonna have to get some game music for off the cuff. This isn't bad what you've got going on, but I'm thinking we'll go some music for off the cuff. Okay, so the, the we'll first question, we will. We'll figure it out. Oh, this is me. Yeah, of course. I'm the contestant. Well, we're we're all the. I'm kind of tweaking the game, and I think we we all end up answering anyway. Okay. So first question, real quick answer. And this is partly because of what you wanted me to bring you today at the studio. A Snickers. So if I, if you had to choose a candy bar to eat on a normal basis, what would you choose? I would choose a Snickers. A Snickers, of course, because that's what you chose today. Paul, you're on the spot. If I said, Paul, I'm going to bring you a candy bar today, you'd say, Dave, get me a... hundred grand. hundred grand. Well, that's one I haven't seen in a while. I like me the hundred grand myself. They're too small. You get two little bars and then you're done. It's like, wait a minute. Where'd that go? You get the king size, Paul, or you just get multiples. Just, just make the bar bigger and don't make it two bars. Why does that Why does that matter? Because there's wasted space in the wrapper where there could be 100 grand. We have Captain Planet with us today. Helping save the environment one candy bar at a time. That's it. There it is. Uh, Carol Wilson. I like Heath or Score. Which is really the same thing, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, is that different than a Butterfinger? Very. Oh, because Butterfinger, yeah, okay, and toffee and Heath, yeah. Butterfinger is a little peanut buttery. Heath is just toffee. That's a word you'd never hear, peanut buttery. Not often enough, anyway. You would hear it if you talked to me more often. Is that where they make peanut butter in a peanut buttery? No. No? It's the adjectival form. I think a Butterfinger is butterscotch than peanut butter, but... Is it... Is well, it's all and Bart Simpson likes it. So I mean, that was the big ad campaign years ago. All right, so that is the first question off the cuff. Boom, done. All right, so Paul Wiersma, being the guest today, you have to answer the next question first. All right, talk to me. You've got a couple hours of free time. You know, you maybe expected or unexpected. You've got a few hours to do kind of whatever you want. What are you going to do? Oh, that's tough. It um, is tough. I, I enjoy a good book. It's just not fiction, right? Correct. Because you want to learn things when you read. <sighs> not to say you couldn't learn things from fiction. Exactly. 
that's that's a conversation Paul and I have had. All right, so good answer. Are you reading anything right now? Any specific book? Uh, I am reading Prayer by Tim Keller. Good book, I heard. So you like it? I do. Awesome. Chad Cashman, yes. you got a couple hours. Same question to you. What do I do in my spare time? You got yeah. What's a What's hobby? That? <laughs> so well, I guess we'll go to Carol then. No. <laughs> what do you? What would you do if you had some extra time? Relax at home. Either TV, movie, or a book. But very rarely a book. I like I mentioned on Facebook. You did. You want to get back into I reading more books. And, and uh, me and your friend actually had a very long conversation on your Facebook page that had nothing to do with you. Are you so two we, guys friends now? We are. Okay. We, are. we in, is it Corey, I think? Corey. Yeah. So anyway. I thought that was kind of funny. It's like, I, fa- I introduced you guys on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, no, you did. I, I saw that. It was the epitome of hilariousness. <laughs> no, it was cool. He was a good guy. Seemed like it. He, he is a good guy. He is All a right. good guy. Miss Carol. You have a few hours. What are you going to do? What time of year is it? Just make something up. It's snowing in <laughs> April right now. <laughs> you know I don't like favorites. Um, I did not say favorites. I said you have a few hours. What would you do? <laughs> I would probably work on my house. So if you wanted to have fun, what would you do? <laughs> um, Maybe garden. <laughs> There's not a right or wrong answer here. You're not going to lose. And, and just let me remind you, there are no losers on, on on off the cuff. I wasn't sure if you would count that as fun. I wouldn't, but it's, I'm not asking you what I think you would. I would read a book, probably. But you didn't like me working on my house. Well, if you really enjoyed it, but I know that you are very responsible, and uh, that's why opposites attract. You married, you're uh, married me. <laughs> Uh, you're going out with me. No, not quite yet. We're working on it, though. But no, it's not a question about me. It's a question about you. But for me, I, I'm probably going to read a book, maybe play some Candy Crush on my phone, depending on what game I'm into. Something like that. All right, one last question. And that is the season you enjoy above all others. That's easy for me. Summer. Summer, boom. Where's my ball? Wilson. I don't know. Whatever season it is right now. Thank you, Pooh Bear. Okay, that be that would be winter in the spring. Yeah, that would. Be, she enjoys winter in the spring the bestest. The trees are really pretty. I'm a big summer guy myself, mainly because it's vacation, beach, that sort of thing. All right. So again, off the cuff. Thanks for uh, playing, everybody. There are no losers, only winners. So we're going to jump right into the the story today. What we want to talk about. I've known Paul for mm, probably about four years now. We both work for the same financial institution. I met him. He was in a training class, and I had been called in to speak at that training class. And he and I kind of connected then. He had some questions for me after I spoke, and he emailed me. And then it turned out to be his manager. I got promoted to manager, and I got to go uh, to a specific branch. And then Paul was one of the people that was working on my team. So I've known Paul for a few years. I've gotten to know him. Uh, I really enjoy him. Paul's a great guy. We're going to talk about his story. We're going to talk about him leaving our shared financial institution to really take the step of faith and really kind of uh, take a risk because the financial institution we work for is very well established. He had a solid job. He did a good job. He was solid at what he did. And he really said, I feel like I'm being called to do something else. And he took that step of faith and went out. And I think it's a perfect fantastic fit for him. He works at a company called David's House. It's a nonprofit here in Wyoming, Michigan. And he's going to talk more about that. But we're going to start with his story. So, Paul. Talk to me. You talk to me. Talk to me about, because you and I went out for uh, breakfast the other day. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your mom and your dad and kind of the people they are, because they really help kind of frame this story. Sure. Um, grew up in a home on the southeast side of Grand Rapids. Um, Kind of lived in Grand Rapids my whole life. Um, <clears throat> my dad, after they moved back to West Michigan from uh, several years living in Chicago, uh, he started his own real estate investment company, um, managing other people's uh, commercial real estate. Uh, so he's and still doing that to this day. So uh, coming on 30 years, I would imagine by this point. Uh, my mom uh, has been a, a nurse and... She she has been a neonatal nurse uh, her whole career, uh, and then when 
she had three kids in the home. She stepped away from that uh, in favor of um, being a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, so uh, my mom, given her uh, area of expertise in the uh, healthcare industry as a uh, neonatal uh, ICU nurse and um, just just having an affinity for uh, that type of thing, um, like I said, left the the healthcare industry to uh, be a stay-at-home mom um, and has since gotten back into home healthcare, um, but that's that's kind of where she's at. So she's always had that that uh, knowledge for the human body, anatomy, things like that. Yeah, so, and, it's, and it's a real good thing that she did, as we're going to get here in a second. So you're three, is it three or four years old? Three, three and a half. Three and a half years old, very serious accident happened to you when you are very young. Tell us a little bit about what happened and where you were. Okay, so this is, I'm three and a half at this point, uh, ironically, leap day. Um, and so I was at a cousin's high school basketball game out in Holland, and as any curious three-and-a-half-year-old would be doing, uh, not watching the basketball game, instead running through the bleachers, climbing up on anything you can find. So that's where me and my cousin were, and uh, that's the last I remember. And the next I remember is in a bed of a critical care ICU. Uh, so because, what happened? Uh, I fell 15 feet through the set of bleachers there at the high school and uh, was was in a coma and uh, the whole bit. And uh, fortunately, uh, by the grace of God, there was a doctor at the game wow. who was able to uh, do CPR, um, make sure that I was staying where I should be until the paramedics got there. Paramedics took me to Holland Hospital. I was put in an Aeromed helicopter, uh, was flown from Holland to uh, Butterworth Spectrum, and uh, was in the pediatric ICU uh, for uh, several weeks um, where I was put on a ventilator. I was, again, every type of life-saving measure was taken. Uh, and um, at this point, as I mentioned to you before, I believe, my parents weren't with me. And right. So I was with my grandparents. Right. And so my parents got the the dreadful call that uh, Dan Nancy, you need to meet us down at uh, Butterworth downtown. Paul's being flown from Holland. He fell through a set of bleachers. Uh, our world's changed forever from that point, and um, a lot of a lot of struggle following that. Uh, that we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, so but go God's ahead. Certainly redeemed that, and, and I'm very grateful for that. So you you fall through the bleachers. Did the game stop at all? Do you know? I would imagine. Uh, it's... David wants to know who won. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to know who won. I'm just like this is. A, I mean, all of a sudden you're in a game and there's oh, yeah. there's hundreds of people there, and all of a sudden I don't know. Does someone scream? What a crazy uh, oh, yeah. circumstance! Like you know, people are wondering what just happened, and then you realize mm-hmm. a child's involved, and suddenly right. everyone. Needs to know what's going on. Oh, absolutely. And so um, I didn't know the doctor did CPR on you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you uh, stop breathing? Apparently you stopped breathing then. I mean, I, I don't know. but I, I mean, And I don't I don't specifically recall because I'm Well, you were unconscious cold. and three and a half. Yeah. So that combination doesn't lead to lots of memories. No, no. So. I'm just curious. Where do you fall in the birth order? I am the oldest of three boys. So I have a, a younger brother who is three years younger than I am and then a further younger brother who's six years younger than I am. So at the time, it was you and an infant? Correct. Okay. So the doctor performs CPR. Incredible. Obviously, people are paying attention, wondering what in the world's going on, and mm-hmm. they realize probably that you fell. So you recover, obviously, mm-hmm. and you start going through, uh, you know, you go back to, you obviously, you go to school. When did the seizure start happening? Following the accident, following the discharge from the, the inpatient hospital stay, I went through months and months of uh, rehabilitation, physical and occupational, and in in fast fact, uh, I was actually through the the rehabilitation process. The uh, therapist made me be right-handed. So were you originally uh, mm left-handed? Did not know that. I was left-handed up until that point, and going forward, they told my mom and dad that. Whenever you see him with his fork or his crayon in his left hand, move it to his right. Um, was there any, any any actual, I don't want to go too far down this path, but was there any reason to do that? Sure. Or is it yeah, the reason behind that was the injury that I sustained from this head injury 
uh, was was on the right temporal lobe. And as you know, the right side of the brain controls the left yes. side, vice versa. And so the fact that this this injury, this, this scarred brain tissue uh, was on the right temporal lobe, and yet I was left-handed, they thought oh. it better to hopefully make me be left brain dominant uh, through becoming more uh, sure. right hand dominant. Yeah, I know that makes various sense. Things. After you fell, you had a grand mal seizure. Mm -hmm. Was a, that immediately or was it at the hospital? On the, you said it was in the helicopter? Mm -hmm. I had a grand mal seizure in the, the Aeromed chopper. And then I had another a grand mal seizure in the, in, once I got to Butterworth Hospital in the ICU. And so uh, there were uh, various uh, uh, epileptic episodes that I suffered almost immediately. Uh, but as, as you alluded to uh, a little bit ago, is that this, this head injury has then resulted in a series and years and years of uh, what's clinically referred to as simple partial seizures, which are the type that I would have at school, at work, in front of peers, they would never know it. So talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to me about what happened. So obviously now you're, this is something that you're dealing with, struggling with all through, all through school, mm -hmm. all into high school. What happened to you when you had a seizure? Sure. It would be, there, the, the, the sensation would be similar to that of, uh, so you're on a roller coaster and you, you're going up and down the, the hills and you feel your stomach go into your, yeah that, that sensation. So that's the beginning of it. You feel like all of a sudden you have the sensation. You think, oh, crap, a yeah, seizure's it's, coming it's on. it's coming on. Okay. Um, and then it's followed by an intense feeling of paranoia. Um, so it's... Un undue paranoia. Like, like what, are you, what are you paranoid about? I just, like... Couldn't tell you. It's, it's, it's the, the feeling you get inside of you that when you are paranoid, but you're not paranoid. Okay. I, I, okay, I kind of get it. So it's it's... The paranoia without the paranoia, if that makes sense. No, it's the feeling of it, mm -hmm. but you're not afraid of anything specific happening. Correct. You're not like, oh my goodness, someone's out to get me or anything like that. You're just having that feeling. Sure. Mm -hmm. Is that different than anxiety? Yeah, I would say so. Um, it, because again, I wasn't anxious about anything. Uh, there, there wasn't anything I could put my finger on. Like this is, this is getting to me. But that's kind of like an anxiety attack, like a panic attack. Well, that's, where that's there's, true as well. Where mm -hmm. there's no specific right. stimuli. Yeah, so in, in addition to that, that sensation, that roller coaster sensation, um, that feeling of paranoia, my whole right side would go very tingly. Right leg, my right hand, uh, right arm, almost the direct right side of my face would go tingly. The right side? Wasn't mm -hmm. the injury on the right side? Mm-hmm. So weird couldn't tell you couldn't tell you why but when you're having a seizure you weren't falling down you weren't you weren't uh there's nothing visibly apparent to anyone around me that so what's happening so, is happening so those around you what are they observing nothing so does it look like you're just kind of kind of just daydreaming or kind of looking off into space not even that maintain my my focus and attention whether it's on the teacher oh or... so you weren't you weren't like okay and now i'm not unable to control your body or paint you could still pay attention yeah yeah so it's as if you say your foot fell asleep you can feel that that tingly sensation yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but nothing says to me that your foot has fallen asleep. yeah there's no way you'd know no exactly. unless you start stomping on the ground or something <laughs> that that would be that that is always a big attention getter is anytime you start stomping on the ground and neighing like a horse. Uh, those are bad things. You're going through this. What do you feel in the middle of the seizure? Does that feel anything different than the onset or is that kind of that feeling Not really. just lasted? It's, it's, it's the whole time. Uh, they would last minute, minute and a half yeah, and was, then be back to normal. That was my next question is how long they last. Mm -hmm. And I could have up to seven, eight a day to none. It wouldn't be really dependent on anything. Just, all right, I had seven today. I didn't have any tomorrow. I had three the next day. And so there'd be no real pattern to it. So how old were you when this started happening? Was it, Did it start right after the accident or I don't remember vividly, but I, I believe directly after the accident. Did you realize there was something wrong with you or did you just take this as being normal? So how I, long did it take mm -hmm. you to tell your mom? 
well, what I when I would tell my mom, I would I would tell my mom I got a, a tummy ache as a kid. I would say I got a tummy ache, and so she's like, "All right, lay down. I'll get you a bucket in case you feel nauseous." And she'd go get a bucket. And the next thing she knew, I'm up, I'm up playing around, and she'd be, "What's wrong with you?" She'd be like, "Well, went away, so I feel fine." And so the she being the medically trained person she is thought there was something odd about that and so as it would happen again several times a day you know she wanted more more info into what might be happening and so so when did she get um when did you actually get like diagnosed that you're having seizures what age were you when they said yeah he's having seizures right now uh, that's a that's a tricky question because for for a good part of my childhood, they went undiagnosed and then misdiagnosed. When did you actually start taking medication? Oh, probably first grade, first, okay. second grade. So you're six, seven years old about. Mm-hmm. So talk to me, we, we kind of covered this when you and I were chatting the other day. Talk to me about what happened with your pediatrician because I think this is an interesting and a sad part of the story. Okay. As you alluded to, mm-hmm. um, undiagnosed and misdiagnosed. So go into that a little bit. Sure. Um, because of the nature of the seizures I would have, I wouldn't lose the ability to speak. I wouldn't, I, I could still stand up or again, they, to the naked eye, they looked like nothing. Uh, the only one, the only person who could look at me and know I was having the seizure I would have is my mom. Yeah. I, I don't know what, mom. what she would see, but I couldn't hide it from her. <laughs> but, uh, did you try to hide them? Oh yeah. I, I actually was very successful in hiding them for a while, hmm. so much so that I went through segment two of driver's ed. Oh, dear. And then I couldn't hide them anymore, and I needed to fess up. And How scary. Yeah. But uh, to get back to your question. Um, well, the, your pediatrician. Sure. And what happened there? Again, because of the nature of my, my seizures, he didn't want to diagnose them as epilepsy and for one reason or another um just just that was a hill he was gonna die on and nope uh, not gonna can't can't say that conclusively these are uh, epileptic so i'm not gonna treat them that way and he in fact he didn't want to treat you at all because he didn't believe you were having any type of seizure right no in fact even to the extent like what happened with your mom Sure. So much so that, yeah, my, my mom is my biggest advocate. Um, in my appointments with this pediatrician, he felt the need to have her see a, a psychiatrist because he wanted her to understand that, no, these aren't seizures, and have the psychiatrist convince her of that, where, ironically, following that psychiatrist appointment, turned out the exact opposite where no Paul is having seizures treat him for seizures and so that was kind of the 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 turning of the Titanic that all right finally you know gotta you don't have this crazy mom saying you know treat my kid for this or that but you have a second opinion saying no he's he's having seizures treat him for seizures and it was at that point that I was put on a anti-seizure medication and these sensations, seizures, or whatever he wanted to call them, went away. Why didn't they just do an EEG to prove or disprove that you were having seizures? Because mm-hmm. I, I had a childhood seizure disorder, and okay. I, that's we I had EEGs every six months just mm-hmm. to determine the activity. Right. No, I had several EEGs, and they all uh, came back. A lot of them, most of them came back negative because they were so sporadic. Again, like I said, I would have up to you know seven or eight a day. There'd be days I wouldn't have any. And it's like taking your car to the repair guy, you know, doesn't, doesn't act up when it's in front of the person that can diagnose it. So unfortunately we had, had to deal with that. And question for both of you then, do you actually have to be physically having a seizure for them to be able to recognize that there's something going on? On a EEG uh, screen. So it's, you, I don't know, I don't know exactly how many electrodes they place strategically on uh, your skull, uh, but they again have them placed strategically so that they can monitor different parts of the brain and those brain waves. And of course, uh, the trained eye will be able to to watch the recorded brain waves and say, "Yes, that's 
that's an epileptic epileptic brainwave. And and I suppose it depends on the kind of seizures because I can remember during mine there would be a portion of it where I was awake and a portion where I was asleep and mm-hmm. during the awake time there would also be flashing lights and it depended on how, on how your your brain waves responded to those different mm-hmm. situations too. Yeah, I would have the same thing. Yeah, I mean, typically a lot of people would respond. Uh, any anyone who's epileptic would would have a seizure during a the the strobing lights. That wasn't what set me off. What what would send me into what had the highest uh, probability of sending me into a seizure was when. Um, they would have me hyperventilate, take deep breaths very okay. rapidly, and something during that process neurologically would send me into my se- the seizures I would have. Obviously, you're at the point. Well, and, and it, you gave me permission to share this, but this you know this isn't something that is kind of embarrassing. But what else would happen when you had a seizure? Sure. No, I would go incontinent, and so I I brought an extra change of clothes to school. Uh, during elementary school. So teasing obviously starts to happen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because kids, obviously, you know, that's a huge target, and they mm-hmm. know. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting how you responded to that. What was your response when you got teased or you saw someone else doing something you didn't like? Yeah, so I, I've i always been a big guy. Um, never never tried to hide that. Uh, it's tough to hide when you're a big guy. Yeah, yeah. But I, when I was teased, I, I would go as much on the offensive as they were, and I would use my size to make sure the person teasing me knew not to ever do that again. Did you get repeat teasing very often from people? Because some people are kind of stubborn or stupid. Mm-hmm. So you had to beat a, some there, kids there up were, more than once? There were some idiots that tried it several times. But, <laughs> um, no, that, that included then many, many visits to the principal's office. And, um, yeah, a lot of, just just a lot of, I mean, school was miserable for me. I had just a, a couple close friends. Because I could hide my seizures, I didn't want any more people knowing that needed to. Sure. And so this this real close group of friends I kept were the only ones that knew. And other than that, um, everyone else, I, I kind of put my brick walls up between. Um, yeah, and you, and you alluded to the fact, too, or you talked about... Um I know it was difficult for you. You didn't want people to know you had a you had a physics teacher that was very very rude to you and did not realize what was going on. And then after the fact, he was told um, that there was something going on. He felt really really bad, but he gave you a real hard time, did he not? Yeah. Um, in uh, correction, pre calculus. Sorry, uh, my bad. So it was. I knew it was a mathy thing. Sure. No, it was my my first hour class, my senior year of high school, and. Uh, still this point I'm, I'm having two, three seizures a day. And, uh, by this point to, to give some backstory between, uh, my elementary school days and my, my middle school, high school days is socially it got so bad that my parents transferred me between school systems. Oh, right. That's right. And so by this point I was, I was fighting it. It was almost like... You're being medicated all this time too, right? Good question, because uh, also, from about fourth grade up until 10th grade, my seizures went away. Uh, They were medicated. They were medicated successfully. Okay. And so, fourth grade, medication, seizures go away. I still stay on the medication for several years. Um, Still seizure-free. Several years later... All right, let's try to take you off the medicine. They did. I'm I'm doing fine without the medication. Um, and again, after fifth grade, I was transferred to school systems, and the the social scars from those right. those early years right. uh, was very much a spoke only if spoken to uh, type of person. And right again, just just kept my my boundaries very tight. And so after fifth grade, I, I transferred school systems and took those, like I said, took those scars with me and still only had very few close friends that knew what was going on. Because that um, felt safe, obviously. Mm-hmm, exactly. Sixth grade, first year at new school, uh, through November of my 10th grade year, 
Again, still seizure-free, still not on medication. Uh, but this pediatrician who still believed what I was having prior were never seizures. Right. He felt comfortable uh, prescribing me on a social anxiety medication uh, just because of some things I had told him in an appointment. And he says, no, take, take this medication and uh, that, that should help. Uh, little did, did we know that this medication on a label would say, do not take if you have had a history of seizures. And because we were only given a sample prescription, we didn't have a lot of that information. Sure. Until my mom, probably two, two or three days into taking this medication, wanting to know what exactly I'm putting in my body. Right. Uh, as the medically trained person she is, goes online, looks at the actual prescription label for this medication to find out that do not take if you've had seizures before. And it was that night that I woke up to a grand mal seizure and I was going out my front door on a gurney being put into the back of an ambulance. Wow. And I bet you remember that. Oh yeah. We'll never forget that. One of the scariest yeah. moments of my life. Can't even imagine going out your front door on a gurney. And once I came to, I sit up, Whoa, what happened? And the, the paramedic put his hand on my shoulder, laid me back down said, Paul, you had a seizure. We're going to take you to the hospital, run tests. Make sure everything's So all fine. of a sudden, you've been seizure-free for so long, and now, oh, my goodness, here we go again. Grand mal, boom. Uh, at that point, I started having all the simple partial seizures again that I had been having as a, uh, as a kid. And that was, like I said, uh, fall of my 10th grade year, and tried tried various things to medicate these this this uh, second round of seizures all to no avail and i mean tried everything from me different medications different doses of different medications different mixes of different medications at different doses and it's not tried, working. tried everything tried holistic diets try you name it we sure were, everything that a good we parent explored would. it mm -hmm. so you ended up having surgery i did uh during the spring of my Senior year of high school. Okay, so you're obviously like 17, 16, 17, mm -hmm. 18 years old. 17-ish. Mm -hmm. So how dangerous was the surgery? Um, I don't... Was it tough? You don't. You may not know. I, I didn't really consider it because any, like no anything, anything was better than what I was having. So after the surgery, they, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, With medication. And, sure. Let me backtrack. So, sure. like I said, we were trying every every type of remedy to to make these seizures go away as they went away the first time around. Again, all to no avail. Where we're finally approached by a um, a doctor, and he says, "You know, you've tried everything, and the last resort really is uh, to to look at doing a neurosurgery procedure uh, that would." resect the scarred tissue that's been the source of all these seizures and the hope there then is that you would be seizure free right and so again by still at this point we've hopped from neurologist to neurologist uh, medical practice to medical practice not getting the answers we want uh, we're seeing a, a pediatric epileptologist so even further specialized at spectrum health and at this point, like I said, I'm 17 and some. And he says to us, he says, you know, I can't treat you much longer uh, because you're going to be 18 soon. Right. Um, he says, what I what I would recommend to you is the Howenstein Neuroscience Center at St. Mary's. They're putting up uh, is just going to be a neuroscience facility like nowhere else in the state. And he says, I would really recommend, and I'll and I'll write you a referral to go see a adult neurologist uh, specializing in epilepsy okay an epileptologist at this Howenstein Center and so which is in the unique thing about this is that and I think one of the the coolest parts of just seeing the God's hand at work in this is that while we're seeing this this pediatric epileptologist at Spectrum Health all the while we're trying to go to Cleveland Clinic arguably the the most premier 
healthcare institution in the world. Yeah. People come from all around the world to get treatment here. We're trying to go to Cleveland to have testing and more diagnostics done. Sure. Figure and out what's going on. Exactly. Fix so it. we keep we keep getting declined by insurance company. No, they're out of network. No, we're not going to cover it. Just and we're feeling at a dead end. Yeah. So this brings us to again this referral to St. Mary's. And so what's very fascinating about that is come to find out this Howenstein Neuroscience Center, the whole thing is a direct graft of the Cleveland Clinic's Neuroscience Center. Okay. Right to Grand Rapids. Everything from the kind of their their practice to their theories to their um, physicians. They're moving a lot of their physicians from Cleveland to Grand Rapids to start this clinic. So while we're trying to get to Cleveland to get this best testing in the world, God brings Cleveland to us. And we we can't believe it. And I, I'm getting chills just talking about this because yeah, it, just, was, it was you can't call it coincidence you can't call it good timing no and uh and that's awesome so so when did you realize so you, you have the surgery and then obviously you realize there is medication that's going to be needed on top of the surgery it has helped sure. the, the interesting thing i think paul is that you've told me that there was really a change in somewhat of your personality and you said there was a like you talked to you're married and your wife, Shannon, you, we were talking the other day, and you said that she, if she would have seen you pre-surgery, she wouldn't even recognize you. Not at all. Uh, I was, as I mentioned before, I was a, a spoke-only-a-spoken-to type person prior to surgery. Uh, I mean, there was always the, the worry that I would have a, a seizure in front of somebody that would embarrass me. Right. As I mentioned, too, I had, I had very, very uh, strict boundaries for myself uh, for that very purpose, and... Yeah, it was just was very. Yeah, you're 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 very introverted. You're very to yourself. Yeah. Socially awkward. You don't like mm-hmm. other deals. You don't want to talk to people except who you're comfortable with. Exactly. No. So after surgery, what do you? What are you? What I, happened? I have my surgery in September of 2006, and the decision was made to postpone starting uh, my freshman year of college in favor of having the surgery in the fall. Right. And so surgery in the fall, recover seizure-free, as you mentioned, still on medication, uh, start my freshman year of college at Davenport University in January of 2007, and I'm, I'm in this whole new world of higher education, and, and it's, 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 it's being able to explore this, this new arena of life yeah. without the hindrance of having to worry about having a seizure, having to let that affect me socially, academically, physically, I mean, you name it, it was, it was affecting me prior. Right. And now you get, this, you get this, to kind of reinvent yourself. This, this ball and chain has been removed completely. And as you said, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Reinvent myself. And I didn't meet my wife until post-surgery and the story she hears about me pre-surgery, she can't believe. <laughs> so, so do you feel like that, the change in your personality was simply a result of the the confidence boost from knowing you weren't Absolutely. dealing with this anymore, or was it because of the surgery physiologically? Mm, that's a that's a great question, or possibly I, both. Yeah, very very well could be both, because uh, actually, the the pre surgery testing they did to make sure that this was going to be a, a wise procedure to do uh, was a uh, neuropsych eval, is what they call it where they test different parts of the brain to see, all right, your frontal lobe does this, your temporal lobe is responsible for this, this and that. And so they got a, a, ma- uh, a psychological mapping of my brain pre-surgery and then post-surgery. Oh, wow. Comparing the results of the two pre- and post-surgery, yeah, they, they found that there were quite a few changes, even on the social side, that had happened. So whether, like you said, that's physiological or that's just is a matter of, confidence confidence in myself i would dare say it's both i'm just curious to know about your the journey of your relationship with god through all this mm-hmm. like where did you stand in terms of your faith that's as a, you were dealing with all these problems yeah that's a great question um the that that period of my life i walked through was it was awful i hated high school i 
like I said, I had my several close friends. Uh, but other than that, it was, I don't mean to be a downer, but it was a miserable existence. <laughs> um, wouldn't wish it on anybody, but looking back from right now, I would not trade it, trade it for anything either. But no, in high school, I was, I was raised going to church. I, K through 12 was in the Christian school system. So I had all the head knowledge that any student going through Christian education would and should. Is is a result of my abnormalities and my 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 shortcomings, uh, socially and academically, and you name it. Um, yeah, it kept it kept me and my family on our knees. Um, you know, God, all right, where where are you leading? Where are you guiding? Um, and I think it's very it was it was super helpful. Uh, our church went through First uh, Peter. I'm sure many people in our church, as as First Peter was preached on, it was very relevant to their their sufferings. But I, it was really unique for me because I could look back and see the truth of every single part of that book um, play through. That I've I've been there, I've lived through it, and God is still faithful. Um, so, so so that was your attitude, pretty much, was of acceptance and wanting to learn from God, not bitterness or anger at what he, what He had allowed to happen. Right? Or no, I. Like I don't think I ever was bitter or angry. Um, I, I would get bitter, bitter and angry at my situations, but not at God Himself, because um, it was it was an encouragement an encouragement to me very early on um, that God can work through my shortcomings a lot easier than if I did not have them. And I, so I think it's interesting that you call them shortcomings. I think that's an interesting word that you choose to use for those mm -hmm. because I don't know when I hear the word shortcomings, I feel like that's something that implies that you've like, when I think of my shortcomings, I think of that as like those weaknesses are my fault. Hmm. And I don't know if you see that word that way, but I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I can see that, but I don't know. It, mm -hmm. That's not how you view that word. Not in that technical sense, but I can see where you'd, you'd gather that. Yeah, because, I mean, I think you know mm -hmm. that obviously you had nothing to do with what happened to you, right. but I think it's interesting how sometimes we we reconcile that with our own thought process, and sometimes people will take things like mm -hmm. that and go, oh, I'm partially at fault for this. Was there ever any, any, any a tinge of that? Like, you know, have I done something? Maybe I deserve this? Anything mm -hmm. like that? No, I think where I... How, how I come up with the term shortcoming is that something happened beyond my control that has caused me to to miss the mark on a lot of things in life. I've, hmm. I've not been able to do a lot of the things my peers have been able to in the ease that they can do them. Give us a couple things that you just that you struggled with and like a person who didn't have this issue. So I played golf and tennis and hockey as sports growing up and my natural abilities were not at the level of my peers. I needed to work much harder to achieve the same results. School, in order to get the same grade on a test of my peer, I would have to study four times as hard and as long. I, I, I still could do it, but it, it required so much more of my effort and time yeah. Tension to get to that point. Well, and I noticed that when I worked with you and I was managing you, I realized that there was a process that you had to go through that was unique to you, yeah, right? And exactly. I didn't, I didn't realize that for the to my chagrin, I would say, I didn't realize that for the first year and a half, as I'm trying to manage you and give you reviews, that you had a unique process, and we all have unique processes. Yours was just a process I hadn't run into before. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, we would bump it, we'd bump heads a little bit, mm -hmm. as I'm like, "No, Paul, we got to do like this," and and I didn't understand. And then sure. it took a couple of years, but then I finally understood. Oh, okay, there's this process that you need to go through mm -hmm. in order to do what you do. There's nothing wrong with that. Although our coworker would tease you a lot about that. Oh yes, we have lots a lot of ammunition. Oh, as <laughs> thank you for that, Sonia. But anyway, a couple quick last things, and we're going to wrap the show. 
Uh, we are going to do a part two of the show because we haven't even touched on um, Paul's transition out of the financial institution where we both worked and going to David's house, which is a phenomenal ministry here in town. I visited myself. So I do have a question. I think Carol's got one too. So when you, I wish we had more time even in this episode because I'm really interested in, you've had this break of time of no seizures and I I actually have a, a real empathy for what you went through as far as the incontinence is concerned because I went through something. I had incapricis, which is kind of, you know, a, a version of that except not with with urine but with with use the proper term defecation. So we'll get into that at a different a different time. So I know the embarrassment of messing yourself mm-hmm. and you, you can't really control it and yet you have everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Did the incontinence come back in when you started having seizures as in high school? No, that's a good question. No, it never did, uh, thankfully. Well, thank goodness uh, for so, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that. That was isolated to the first round of seizures that eventually was treated with medication. So my last question for you is this. What was the impact? And I loved Carol's question earlier. Uh, that's why we have her on the show because she's much smarter than I am and Chad combined. <laughs> Not arguing. I know, right? So uh, she just smacked me on the head. I don't know what that was about. So you have you've had this absence, and you I'm sure it's like okay, this is gone. This is just something I had when I was a kid, and boom, I grew out of it or whatever. It's done, and all of a sudden you're in high school, and it happens again. Oh my goodness! How did that impact your relationship with God, and how did you use your faith to get through that? Yeah, no, I was blessed with a incredibly strong group of friends as as i mentioned before my my friend network i kept very limited uh, for obvious reasons most of my friends were not from where i went to school uh they were from church and so they they were from from different high schools all around town and uh, we are the common thread was uh, we went to church together and uh, that year uh, we were all in a bible study together I think just the, the relationships that were formed uh, because of uh, what we were all going through as far as a study. Uh, we were going through uh, Costly Grace by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, ju- I just think that the, the, the strength and the bond of those relationships that were forming at that point in time um, really kept me solid in my own faith that I just saw this as a, a minor roadblock that Nothing gets to me before it passes the hand of God, and he can use it to redeem me and redeem my situation for my good and his glory. And, I mean, he's done exactly that. So, Just to sort of give a little teaser for the next part of this podcast and what you're doing now, I know that David's house is a a place for um, adults with special needs. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your experiences with the seizures and all the medical issues you've had to deal with, do you feel like that gave you a special ability to understand and to work in this place? Oh yeah. No question. Uh, I, how, like, yeah, just if you could just address that briefly. Sure. Um, I worked with Dave in the financial services realm and I, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Um, but I knew that, Going down the road, my my career was going to be more uh, ministry driven. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had toured through different seminaries. I I was just open to wherever God was going to lead in that regard, but knew that that was the um, trajectory. And so, um, as as like I said, as I searched for what that would be, uh, a door when that door opened at David's House Ministries, um, I never in hundred years would have picked that out for myself but as the door opened and as we continued my wife and I continued to explore what that might look like uh, working at a an adult foster care home more and more it was revealed to me that I've been uniquely equipped to work in this role to work on behalf of um, men and women who live life with severe limitations each and every day and so, uh, as you alluded to, um, I, I believe I've been equipped with a unique insight into 
living with those limitations is I never got my driver's license until I was 19 because I was having seizures and, and knowing very well too, that I could have been one of our residents had my head injury had gone any differently. Yeah. And I, I'm really excited and very much looking forward to our next podcast where we get to dig into that even a little bit deeper. And that's a good uh, segue into what we're going to talk about next time. Um, Paul, I really thank you for being here. I can tell you when Paul went to David's house and he was telling me he was leaving, we went out to lunch and he saved it for the end of the lunch. And I thought he was, I, honestly, and I told him this, I thought he would fail in where he was going just because of uh, just the different ways I knew about Paul. And, and he was decent at the job he, where he was and I was managing him. Um, but I know he wasn't as successful as he wanted to be. And so I was afraid he wasn't going to do well. I, I very, very much wanted him to succeed and hoped he would, but I just thought I don't see this working, and I was very wrong. Um, Paul's doing very well over at David's house. It's a fantastic ministry, and that's why it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about it next mm -hmm. time. The key thing for me, though, as we wrap the podcast, is the importance of community is Paul has this catastrophic thing happen to him when he's three and a half years old and you're a kid and you have your family to surround you and support you. And I'm so thankful that your mom had the medical training she did Absolutely. or you probably wouldn't be alive today. Nope. <laughs> the doctor being there, just the hand of God and all of this stuff is amazing. Um, you're supposed to be here. You know, I don't mean on the podcast. I mean on this earth. You're, oh, yeah. you're supposed to be here. There's no doubt about it. But even more so the part that touches me on this first person's podcast is the community of people you had surrounding you when it started again. Mm -hmm. Because I can't imagine the fear and the anxiety and the, oh my goodness, going back to all this stuff. I'm losing control of my life again. Something I remembered when I was kind of little now is back and you are a very much a young adult yeah. with friends. Significantly more repercussions on my life socially. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you out there, if you're listening to this podcast you know, community is so hugely important. If you're isolated, I, I, I really just ask you, find a community. I know that's easier said than done. And I don't know, I don't mean necessarily you have to go to church, but I think that's a great place to find community if you're in the right church. So, um, you know, just there's tons of churches in the West Michigan area. So if you're in West Michigan, you're listening, you got no excuse. There's plenty of places you could go. We'd love to invite you to Solomon's Porch or Calvary Undenominational, which is where Paul goes to church. That's on the northeast side of town on the East Beltline. Solomon's Porch is in Jenison. A bunch of people there would love for you to come, and we would love to involve you in our community. So once again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. This is an open letter. And again, please contact us if you would. We need your feedback, especially on our Facebook page. Just look at an open letter on Facebook and you can find us. So again, thanks for listening. Have a great day or night or week or whatever you're listening to. Whenever you're listening to it, have a great time. See ya.